Hey, hey, y'all. It's me, Robin. And just real quick before we get to today's episode, if you are loving listening to the podcast, or maybe you don't know because you've just pressed play for the first time ever, but if you like to listen to things in your earbuds, you are going to be so happy to know that Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors is now released as an audiobook. You can get it in Audible or wherever else you get your audiobooks. And of course, you can still get it in print and ebook. If you go to robingobel.com slash book, it's going to give you all the options, including that you could order a signed copy from my local bookstore. Alrighty, y'all. Here's that podcast episode you're waiting for. Affectionately known as the Queen of Lycra, Marty Smith is a brilliant, joyful, compassionate, and playful trauma-informed occupational therapist. She has always left me feeling so inspired and really is responsible for igniting my passion for bringing the body and movement into my work with kids and families, as well as with myself. Today, though, we aren't talking about body or movement. We'll do that in a different podcast episode. Today, Marty and I are talking about how the personal and professional overlap her journey to becoming a connected therapist and how this changed the way that she showed up for her own family and of course herself. I'm Robin Goebel and welcome to the Parenting After Trauma podcast, where I take the science of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human and translate that for parents of kids who have experienced trauma. I'm a psychotherapist with over 15 years of experience working with kids who have experienced trauma and their families. I'm also a self-diagnosed brain geek and relationship freak. I study the brain kind of obsessively and teach the science of interpersonal neurobiology in a certificate program. I started this podcast 27 episodes ago. Holy smokes, y'all, 27 to get free accessible support to you as fast as possible. So this podcast isn't fancy and I do very little editing. Sometimes you'll hear a cock-a-doodle-doo in the background. If you love this episode, add Parenting After Trauma to your favorite podcast player and please share it with your friends and colleagues. Then be sure to head over to robingobel.com to discover all the free resources I have for you. And y'all, there's a ton. So if you haven't been there, go now, robingobel.com. You're, you're also going to find a free 45-minute masterclass on the three questions we should ask ourselves when faced with challenging behavior in our kids. Is this child regulated? Is this child connected to themselves and or me? And is this child feeling safe? You can grab that free 45-minute masterclass at robingobel.com slash masterclass. This is episode 27, and I am so pleased to introduce you to occupational therapist, Marty Smith, TBRI practitioner, fellow with the Child Trauma Academy, and queen of Lycra. You are going to feel so inspired by the way Marty vulnerably shares her journey into becoming a more connected therapist, mom, partner, and human. Marty. Oh gosh, this is awesome. Thank you so much for giving up your time this afternoon so we can have an awesome time chatting and then recording it and sending it out into the world. That'll be fun. 
Well, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I always, always, always love working with you and our collaborations. They, they almost leave me as filled with hope and joy as I hope that brings to others that are listening to us. So it, it's a benefit to me to talk to you as well. Well, and me too. And that's such a great thing even to just kind of get started with, because that's, I, that's been true of all my guests. Like I've, you know, we've, we've ended, and I think both of us feeling so inspired and then so excited also to just offer one more thing out into the world that offers maybe some hope and inspiration to the folks that are listening. So that is a fun piece that happens out of this. Yes. Well, what I would love to chat with you about today is this way that we both are so committed to our professional journeys and how we, you know, dive in, we learn all the things, we practice all the things and we want to do all the things well, right? (laughs) So we're real committed to like learning all this stuff that we bring to uh, the families that we work with and our clients and, and the people that we speak to when we do conferences and stuff and taking a, like a step back and looking at how that work and our personal or our professional work kind of dovetails in with our personal journeys. And I know that's something you and I have talked about. And I know that that's been a piece you've been really reflecting on yourself here lately. So yeah, I'd really love to talk about that. Like this overlap, this intersection of our professional work we adore and how that impacts our personal lives and vice versa. For sure. For sure. And, and it's, it's funny. We, we have been talking for a while um, about that same concept and Uh I was uh, speaking with uh, Dr. Cross at the TBRI TCU uh, Care and Purpose Institute. Yes. And he and I were collaborating on a project and he, he kind of asked, you know, what can I do as, as a return, like quick, quick, right. Yes. And he's like, what are some of your professional goals? And, and you and I have talked about this at length as well of writing somehow like putting into writing how this journey has changed us professionally and, and personally. And so just talking with him about that, um, that's when he, he recommended or suggested that I write uh, mm-hmm. a, a book called the, the connected therapist mm-hmm. and kind of in that, uh, the connected child, the connected parent yeah. um, kind of series. And, and it's, so I've literally been living that and you and I've been talking a lot about that, yeah. about how the journey into trauma informed care has really opened my eyes for how I treat my own family. And, and it was yes. this, this reckoning of, I I've been successful as a therapist for a long time, I, I feel like, and mm-hmm. that was part of my own dissociative tendency was I'll just throw myself into my work and then I don't have to deal with things that are at home. Yeah. And so I did all the research and, and it was so healthy and I was going to conferences, but I was physically leaving my kid yeah. to do that. But I didn't see it as harmful or disconnected or anything like that because I was doing good things. And yes. So as we, you know, we met at that practitioner training, you and I together, and as we were doing these trainings and learning these things, it was like, oh, crummy, you know, I'm starting to recommend things to people that I'm not doing. Yeah. (laughs) And and it was so convicting. And just that, that whole journey as I'm writing this book about how learning how trauma impacts us and the generational things, the epigenetics that come through and how that 
you know, it impacts how we, we treat people and stuff. And, and just with you, especially in talking about connection and shame and, mm-hmm. you know, getting into Brown's work and, you know, like all the people that we study, right. Yeah. It just kept coming back to, I'm terrible at relationships. <laughs> like, okay. I'm so let's so pause and take a moment. <laughs> For self-compassion, we can laugh about that, but that that's a hard thing to feel, to right. feel that moment of going, oh, I'm terrible at relationships. And again, we're laughing, but I, I'm imagining that when that first happened, that you felt that. that oh that, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, but, but it's also with that self-compassion for sure. Yes. But the hope that I want to offer to other people. And one of the reasons I'm writing this book is Yes. You know, and I, I, I guess, you know, I should have said I was terrible at relationships, but, but they're learnable. Like you can teach this skill. And, and so it is, it's this horrible realization of, I really am bad Mm -hmm. (laughs) these relationships, but then there was that hope of, but that can be healed, but it takes effort. And so I think that's what you and I have really dove into Mm -hmm. is how do we heal those relationships? And, you know, if our nature and our tendency is to avoid people, I'm a big, you know, or at least I was especially a big dissociator. Uh And, and even now I can find myself slipping into that and being dismissive and things like that. But now at least I recognize it since we've been doing all this research and I can go back and say, okay, I know what I'm doing. And, and I have some skills now to move forward with that. You know, I can, I can do my own deep breathing. I know that I need to maybe take a moment and then come back. Maybe I can't do it right in that moment, but at least I can recognize it. And there's good repair that comes afterwards. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that has been one of the most profound things that I've learned through this journey is the power of repair. Yes. And, and especially for someone who doesn't like conflict or, or interacting with people a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I never wanted to come back and do the repair. Mm -hmm. It was just, Oh, time will heal this. They'll be fine. You know, I went through really crappy stuff and I came out fine, you know, that whole Uh dismissiveness. Yeah. Um, But coming back and saying, Oh man, when you do that repair, it's so rich. Yes. And, and and you don't have as many of the repairs that need to be made as you move forward. And that's, that's, that's something that has been profound for me was just as we start doing these connecting principles and, you know, treating people as if they're doing their best and looking at things with everybody's just dealing with things and doing the best they can with what they have. And, and that lens of compassion, as I give it to other people, it's coming back to me as well. And that has been powerful. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had a similar, I actually have a very clear memory of being my, probably about when my son was entering in kindergarten. And so our schedule was changing as a family and our lives are, are, are similar, but also a little bit different in that my husband's the stay at home parent. And so I have some flexibility in my professional life that a lot of moms, you know, people who are, you know, holding the traditional mom role don't necessarily have. Um, but I do have a real clear memory of, of thinking to myself, how can I help other families in the best way possible? If I'm not first prioritizing mine, right. Um, because it is so hard. I can also like just some of the logistics of building a business and having a private practice and wanting to serve families, but also realizing like, um, I can't go home at 9 PM every day while my son is at mm-hmm. school. 
all day. Like that, (laughs) that doesn't work in my family. And so having this dual, and it sounds like in a way for you too, this, this, like I had to hold my feet to the fire to make choices that were in line with like the professional things I was saying, or my professional values is like this, I have to, you know, show up in this, in this way, (laughs) or there is going to be a real limit to how much I'm even going to be helpful to Mm -hmm. families. I think I knew that right away. Like if I'm not really embodying this work myself, there is going to be a limit to how well Yes. And support families in my professional world. So I've got to figure out and it's hard and painful. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There, to do that, that work. That reminds me of uh, several conversations that I will have. And, and, and uh-huh. the interesting thing about my situation is Rob is the primary breadwinner in my mm-hmm. family. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the things that he does is he works with Dr. Perry pretty closely yes. and develops all of his stuff, uh, the, the computer end of it. Yes. And so he's always reading these things and uh-huh. he is just such a neat person. I'm just so blessed to have him, you know, as my partner. And, and he, so he reads all these articles and he's always forwarding me things. Right. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, this new research came out and you need to hear about this. Cause he really is my biggest cheerleader and, and yeah. wants me to be successful. But with that, he's very involved yeah. in this work too. And there's been many moments in our parenting, especially where uh, I can think of a very specific example. Uh, it's a comical example, but it's also one of those like, oh my gosh, that was painful. But because of my nature, I deal with it in comedy. Yes. And so my daughter wasn't a very good eater. Like she rejected a lot of foods and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I get into more of that in some of my other courses and things, but the, the heart for this story is that the girl didn't eat. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. she wouldn't even eat like jelly. And so <laughs> there was a moment where we're in the kitchen and I have jelly on some toast and I'm like standing over this kid after I just came back from a feeding conference where I learned these things and I'm right. telling Rob all the things that we need to do. And I'm right. like, here's your parenting list of how we're supposed right. to introduce <laughs> the kid. And you know, like, I need you on board with me. And, da, da, da. and of course he's soaking it up and he's like, yes, 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 I'm gonna do yes, that. yes, yes. And so he walks in the kitchen and I'm literally force feeding this like three-year-old mm-hmm. jelly with toast. And I'm like, yes. it is nothing but sugar and strawberries you love yeah. both of those things <laughs> and I'm like all up in her face and I'm so frustrated and he's like is is this a TBRI method and I was like shut up exactly <laughs> no no it's it's no <laughs> it was just so convicting and so infuriating and it was like I just Oh, you know, and so yeah. I had to, got to take a moment and then come back. And, and then it was like, I'm very sorry. <laughs> I tried yes. to force feed you sugar, <laughs> like force feed you sugar. What, what is this thing? You know? Yes. And, um, and then there were moments, you know, we, we brought my niece in when she was 18 uh-huh. and that's, you know, another whole story, but, but in short, she had had some, some things in her past that she needed to be with us for a while. And, and so there were moments with her and I never raised a teenager. My oldest was 12 at the time. And so I get this 18 year old, you know, who had run away from her current situation and I found her on my doorstep and I was like, I've missed six years of parenting. And, you know, they seem to be kind of critical years from 12 to 18. (laughs) Like there was probably a lot of Yes, that I missed in that period. And so we would find ourselves in these conversations and, 
I, I just had no, I hadn't even read those parenting books yet. I wasn't into those chapters. And, you know, again, Rob would sit down and, you know, I would get so angry and I would just hold mm-hmm. on to something about a, like a curfew or yes. you know, boundaries with boys or, you know, yes. whatever. Right. And, and he would, again, he would be like, is this the TBRI approach? And I was always like, dang you with the TBRI. Yeah. Why are you going to keep Leave me alone? Right. <laughs> but when he would do that, it really would like a yeah. light bulb would come on. And I was like, right. If I believe in these things and if yes. I'm going to teach these things, I have to practice them at home. Yes. I can't, I have to practice what I preach. And so I would, I would step back and I would be like, dang it. No. Okay. You know, the, you know, I'd tell my niece, this is the new approach and you can thank your uncle Rob for this. <laughs> you know? But, but it really did bring a lot of peace to the home when we started using a lot of those empathic, you know, more connected principles. And, and I really, it has been a sacrifice for some things for me because I do want to practice what I preach. And because of that, I do still have kids at home and I do still, you know, my, my daughter, you know, she, she has some high need type things <laughs> in regards to my time and things like that. And so I want to honor that. I, I want to change the story of my past mm-hmm. through her. Yeah. Um, I still don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, it's, you just hope for the best and, yeah. and that compassion that comes with, you know, they're still individuals and she is her own person. And mm-hmm. I, I can't control what she's going to do later in life, but I can control how I respond to it. And I can control that I will love her regardless of, of how things work out. And, and that has been a piece that I've been able to give myself through this model is, you know, I know, I know I'm doing the best that I can. And I know that that's enough now. Whereas before I started doing these compassion models and looking at things through the sensory lens and all that, and and, and more the trauma, Mm -hmm. understanding Mm -hmm. connection and attachment through that, you know, now I can say, whatever happens, I did my best. Whereas before right. I, I, I know so many parents, you know, they, they carry that guilt of, could I have done something different and yeah. you know, things like that. And, and I'm just so grateful to have these principles to know, yeah. you know, and who knows what I'm going to be when I'm 80. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to huh? feel, but, but, but yeah. I have a lot less regret now, you know, even in the short years that I've been parenting yeah. than I did in my beginning parenting journey. And that's been very powerful to be able to say, I really am trying and I do love these kids. Absolutely. And that that matters. You know? Okay. So I want to summarize a couple yep. things, just like create a couple little anchors for us. Cause you said some really great things. So one, I heard you say some of it really is when looking back and reflecting on like, what were some of the key points in embodying and like living this shift and, and that's, and that it's a practice. Like there's no like end result, like I'm here now I'm (laughs) exactly as connected as I want to be. No, like it's a constant journey, constant process. But I, what I'm hearing is like just having a, a solid footing in the belief that like everybody's always doing the very best that they can, including yourself. Yes. And that just anchoring into that belief, how that can shift so much in and of itself. I mean, it shifts how we see other people and how we see their behaviors, which for me allows me to hang out more in my own regulation, right? Like if Mm -hmm. I can be like, oh, this person is really struggling as opposed to this person is being a jerk. 
Or maybe both is true. This person's (laughs) behaviors are not good and they're really struggling. Like that helps me not like pull into it quite Mm -hmm. so quickly. Um, But then also I can give that compassion eventually kind of back to myself, which you would have had to do. So the other part I hear is that you had this co-regulator in Rob, right? Mm-hmm. Who wasn't shaming when he came in and was like, huh, <laughs> curious, is this that TBRI method that we've been, <laughs> right? Like he wasn't shaming. He wasn't being, you know, rude or jerk, or at least not in the moments you're describing. No. <laughs> so no, it, yeah. Yeah. That way. yeah. Right. So he's offering this co-regulation, which is such a crucial part for all of us that we all find somebody who can see us with compassion, offer us co-regulation. How fortunate for you. And honestly, for myself too, that that person lives in my house and is my partner and my best friend and the person I love so very much kind of offering this co-regulation and creating a moment of pause, right? There's a moment of coming back into really mindful connection of the here and now and out of the, you know, kind of this, this going down the tracks of the jelly or whatever, (laughs) you know, and we get so sucked into and tunnel visioned around this one little thing. That's so important. We have to fix this thing. Mm -hmm. And we're not even realizing like, wait a minute, this is jelly, right? So (laughs) To have somebody come in, offer co-regulation and really anchor us back into the present moment and go, okay, no, you're absolutely right. Like how, like how important that piece is. Yes. I'm interrupting the show real quick because if you happen to be a new listener, you might find yourself being a little overwhelmed by all this information. That makes total sense. I mean, there's like 150 episodes plus all the free resources that are available over my website. It's just a lot. So many folks have asked me, where do I start? So I created a separate podcast stream called Start here. What I did is I took the 10 episodes that I want you to listen to first, and then I want you to listen to in this specific order. And I put them into a separate podcast stream so that you don't have to search for them. You can just press play and they'll play one after the other after the other. If you go to robingoblecom slash start here, you'll be able to get an invitation to subscribe. And then you'll be able to listen right in the same podcast app you're using right now. RobinGobel.com slash start here. Well, and, and I love that too, because I received that example. I can give it to other people because we know a lot of the people we work with, their spouses are not absolutely uh, co-regulating with them. Yes. And so, but when we have that experience ourselves, yes. we can share it with others. And it's that right. whole, we don't know things that we don't know. And if we right. haven't right. ever experienced that, then we can't help others experience it either. Right. And so that's, that's one of the things that I, I don't take that for granted. Right. And I try and help the clients and people that I work with. And, you know, even the whole just, and, and I love that the club, when you've brought the club together, because I feel like that's a place that a lot of people are getting that 
that companionship and that partnership with other members in the club because they may not have it at home, but they can find it in other places of community. And I I just, that's one of the things I'm just so glad you're doing that platform for people. And, and uh, yeah, that's we're I'm part of a trauma-informed OT group as well. And we're trying to do the similar things professionally with other OTs of, can we support you? Can we help you? Can we co-regulate you? And, and I know you and I are both feeling the stress with the pandemic because counselors, I mean, they're drowning. Right. And so, you know, and they may not have that support at home, but being that for other people is so important to me as I know it is for you too, because we do have that at home And, and it's a great model, you know, of how do we help support other people the way people have supported us. Absolutely. It feels to me a way of really like leaning into and using some of these places in which I have a significant amount of privilege. And one of them is that I do have a spouse who works really, he's not perfect in any stretch of the imagination because nobody is. No one is, right. But he works so hard to show up and be like a great partner and do his own work. And, you know, we take our turns with who needs to give co-regulation and who receives the (laughs) co-regulation. And there are, yes, you know, for various reasons, this has been a grueling, terribly, you know, hard, hard, hard year. And then there's other places that I can really honestly look at and be like, and we're doing pretty good. And that means I can offer this to other people. That means I can like with intentionality show up. And, and that's why I've, you know, not gone back to seeing private practice clients because I have, well, one, I have a huge kind of caseload of therapists that I support. So that's me offering co-regulation to these therapists who are out there doing, you know, hard, hard, hard frontline work. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, this other kind of way, I feel like we've, I've stumbled upon how can we offer this connection and co-regulation to people even virtually and on a much bigger um, platform, you know, reach more people. And part of my ability to do that is because I work really hard on maintaining like my own wellness, you know, Mm -hmm. through my own connections. And, and again, just so lucky that we, you know, I know both of us share that, that we have these partners who really support us and adore us and just like our biggest cheerleaders. (laughs) Yes. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then cheerlead others. You know, exactly. That's, that's the commonality I think that you and I both have is that we, uh, you know, I'll never forget. There's so many presenters, especially mm-hmm. that are so territorial yes. and, you know, they, you can't use that because I came up with that model or, you know, whatever. Right. And it's like, okay, you know, that, that's fine. And right. I'll never forget having a conversation with you when we, we decided to do more collaboration mm-hmm. and it was you talk about matching energy, you know, yeah. and I had asked you, can I use that in my talks? And you're like, absolutely. And then <laughs> I know you use some of my regulation pieces in your talks. Yes. And, and so we had this conversation of, you know, can I, can I share some of your, you know, and you said, you know, there, there are so many people in need that we will never overlap, you know, like there's always more people to reach. And then yes. I kind of follow that with, and wouldn't it be great if we worked ourselves out of a job, you know, the no reality won't. Right. But, um, but I love that relationship that you and I have that we are mm-hmm. both saying, okay, we, we have 
these blessings in our own lives and we've experienced these things and we want to share and we want to help others. And so we, we lift each other up yep. in our work of, you know, I, I want to be your cheerleader, just like Rob's my cheerleader yep. and, and I, you're my cheerleader as well, just like your husband is yours. And, um, and, and yeah, I just love that we share that common goal of let's just help people help people. <laughs> uh, no kidding. There's no shortage of people who really need help. It's true. So let's just all get together. And if somebody (laughs) hears what I said and they benefit from it through you, awesome. And and part of me also goes back to like, I don't even know where I got that, you know, like the things that I say are, you know, a collaboration, internal collaboration of all the mentors I've had and all the benefits I've had of trainings and books. Like there's just, there's been so many places of goodness in my life is like who even knows where that thing came from like yes share it share it far share it wide let's just help people let's just help people let's just help people and I think that that is part of it for me at least like when I really identify would have been part of my own you know real healing journeys and then in in a way how I've modeled the club is receiving connection and co-regulation for sure but the giving of it I feel like has been just as important in my own internal like regulation. And as I move into just more integration, you know, these moments where, you know, whether it be because I'm a therapist or in my family or in my friendships of like, no, now it's my turn to show up. Mm -hmm. Um, And having to do that sometimes I feel like has been a real big, part of it for me. Does that feel true for you too? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, definitely. I think for me, my self-worth, a lot of my growing up in childhood was tied into what I could give others. Yes. So for me, there was a lot of pride and I didn't struggle so much with receiving with things, or I didn't struggle with giving of things as I'm, I did with receiving, like receiving was so hard for me because that was a, if you can't do it all, you're not worthy. And, and that was, you know, when I had the kids and I I wasn't able to travel as much because I'm looking at this model and I'm like, I got to practice what I'm teaching. Mm -hmm. And that means I can't go to LA, (laughs) I I would love to go to LA. But I can't bring everybody to speaking, so I gotta stay home, you know, and saying yeah. no to some of those bigger events and saying yes. no to being full-time at a clinic, which I love being full-time at a clinic. And I look forward to getting back to full-time work. But um, but because of that, I had to say no to a lot of these opportunities. Yeah. And then that hurt me because I'm such a giver, right? Yeah. But then through this model and through some of the things that I've gone through in the past couple of years, you know, even just bringing in an extra person to my family, mm-hmm. seeing my friends step up and offer help with things was yes. so like hard in the beginning. Yeah. And, and then I realized this is so helpful. Yeah. And, and I just, I, I realized how, how much I appreciated that. And, and I could also look at it as, and now my friends are experiencing the help that I mm-hmm. often am the one providing. And right. so that right. really shifted my viewpoint as well as a helper and yes. you know, all these tests and personalities and things. I'm always yes. the helper. I'm yes. always the doer. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so it really shifted my 
perception of, man, to be the receiver, you're allowing someone else to be the giver and the doer. And, yeah. and knowing how good that felt, it, it made that a little bit easier for me. Yes. And I feel like, you know, that trust-based, you know, relational, the neurosequential, like all these yes. fancy and models, it, it, it helped me be a receiver as yeah. well. And, um, and that's been amazing, you know, to, to do things like that too. And I don't know exactly where I'm going with this. <laughs> no, I mean, I told, I completely, of course. I mean, so many of us, obviously helpers and healers, like we come into the world because yeah. we learned that being a helper kept us safe. And yeah. so, uh, for, and whatever that means, right. Emotionally safe, physically safe, all sorts of ways we, we stayed safe as we, you know, took on this role, which I have a lot of gratitude for that in my, for myself, because I feel like I've been able to do a lot of pretty cool things yeah. out in the world and really truly help a lot of people because of that role. But I've also, and I think because of practicing the receiving, then was uh-huh. able to learn the difference between helping as like a protective part of myself. Like I'm going to help, I'm going to jump into role of helper because it distracts me from everything else or because then you'll really like me. And I like that. (laughs) Right. Like, which I control totally when you're the helper, you know, where the ship is going, you're steering it. Yeah, absolutely. Which is really also, well, there's a lot of things about that role, but for me, one, it was also exceptionally exhausting and there just came a point where I had to figure out how to continue to like live my values and, and to do my work that I love and, and really show up as a helper, but in a way that was like an authentic connected to self way of helping, as opposed to this sort of driven by, it helps me stay safe. It helps people like me. It helps me have my personal identity, like all these other things that I was just like, I am so tired. I cannot keep this up. And so it's, it's just fascinating to see how they all play into each other. Like I know, just like you said, the receiving, mm-hmm. finding people who could truly co-regulate me. And, and for me, I, you know, it's a long-term relationship with an amazing therapist and some of my mentors and my professional relationships, right? Like even like relationships like you and I have, right. Mm-hmm. Finding these ways of receiving helped me fully step into an authentic kind of helper and giver role that isn't exhausting. Yeah. It's not exhausting. It's like life giving it's inspiring and wonderful. Yeah. (laughs) For sure. As we just go. Yeah. And like bask and it's like, "Uh uh-huh. That's nice. Well, so I know that when people are listening, they're like, tell me more about how you did this. Does anything else come to mind for you? Like, as you look back and think about what were kind of the key, we've talked, we've talked about a ton already, just wondering if there's anything else that comes to mind that was really crucial in this, in this personal journey of yours. I I think I would say the personal journey for me, one of my wake up calls was when I was doing the, the, all the paperwork and the videos and stuff for the neurosequential model Mm -hmm. there. That was kind of where I started. um, And that when I I felt like I knew the anatomy, that was easy. I love anatomy. That's always been the sensory system. 
I didn't understand it when I graduated from OT school, but I worked heavily with kids with autism and Mm -hmm. on that spectrum. And so I did so much continuing ed in that area and I I, I understood it. You know, Mm -hmm. there's people that get it and don't, and I Mm -hmm. just happen to be one that gets it. And so as I was reading through all of these things, I was, I found myself being like, yeah, I know that. I know that. Okay. Yeah. Check, uh-huh. check, do that. You know? Yes. But then there were pieces where it was, you know, medical birth trauma can be trauma yes. and having like adverse experiences is trauma. Yes. <laughs> I thought, oh, so like my ACE score of seven yeah. That's not normal. <laughs> yeah. No, oh, that might affect how I'm parenting. Oh, you know. And so <sighs> there was this conviction of, you know, my my husband makes a good income and we are we don't live in poverty. We are, you know, socioeconomically advantaged and yeah. you know, we don't have any prejudices or racism or you know, all these things that people deal with that you think of right. as you know, adverse experience, you know, like yes. day to day, you know, make things hard to live. And, and so I never really considered that my child could possibly be from a trauma background because mm-hmm. I was under a, incredible stress medically, you know, I was getting chemotherapy when I was pregnant with her and, you know, I didn't know if I was going to live. My husband works in tech. And so that's a very ebb and flow business. You know, it's a feast or yeah. famine kind of thing. And yeah. we were famining for a while. And, you know, it's like all these things I just never considered yeah. trauma. Right. And so when I viewed things through that lens of, oh, oh, then first I had to get over the guilt mm-hmm. and the shame you know, mm-hmm. that comes with, oh, she's not just a sensory kid. Yeah. You know, she, she is dealing with things and my attachment style with her because of my past and yeah. all the things I was going through when I was, you know, when she was an infant, mm-hmm. uh, that was really hard to reconcile, yes. but it forced me to then look at it differently. And yeah. especially as a sensory focused occupational therapist, when, when she would have hyperactivity or she would have eating you know, difficulties and things like that. I went very sensory mm-hmm. and I, I tried to attack things from the, the very medical model. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so learning these principles and learning about, um, and I knew what attachment was, but I didn't apply it, I guess. And when I really started to look through that lens a little bit, it was like a filter went over yeah. my treatment. And then it was like, oh, it's not, yes, she has oral motor deficit because of the sequence of events that happened, but it's less about the oral motor and it's more about, I don't, I need to stop force feeding her jelly. (laughs) And and it's not that she can't take the stickiness of the jelly because I'm looking at it from a sensory perspective. It's more of a, oh, she doesn't want the jelly because I'm physically injured (laughs) and like smearing it on her body so that she experiences it in a sensory way you know and so it was just that lens of oh it's not always just the sensory system and I think yeah. that's something that I would love for your listeners to understand too is you know I, and I come to them very humbly as I am like a sensory I don't want to say guru but I've been called that right absolutely yes I know yes. the system yes and until I was able to say sensory is not independent of relationship. No, yeah. 
that, that was profound for me yes. as an OT and, and, and especially working with my own kids. And so yeah. now I can look back and I can be like, okay, you know, this is probably has a sensory, sensory root to it. And there is probably some sort of a sensory thread of, you know, she doesn't like loud noises. Mm-hmm. And so she's not going to be thrilled to go out in the Polaris with us. And so, but rather than saying, okay, I'm going to give her headphones or I'm going to make this sensory accommodation and then expect her to be like, oh, thank you, mother. Right. That I have fun. I am thrilled <laughs> to jump into the moto thing. You know, it's, it's going to be like, I'm going to come at it much more relationally. Yeah. And I'm going to make sure that she not only has headphones, but she has a place to retreat yes. when we go ride this giant, you know, motorized thing through the woods. Right. Yeah. Like I'm just going to, it opens up my eyes for, it's not just sensory. And, and I think that's been profound for me with my own family. And then also as I work with clients too. Yeah. To yeah. That focus. I mean, I hear you describing a shift that feels like so many of us make. I know I certainly have too, is, um, you know, the moving from the, the doing into the being and then finding a way to like bring them all together. Because just like you said, like the doing pieces are important. And if we only do them as doing, and we don't have this, you know, like the relational, um, see that it's kind of floating in, you know, which was one of my, probably, uh, it'd be hard to say one of my favorite things about Dr. Perry, but I think probably one of the things that connected me to his work so quickly is as a scientist, how he will, he refuses not to continually talk about relationship, right? So he's talking about things that those, those of us who want an intervention and I can fall into that. I want an intervention trap just as easily as everyone else can. Yeah. Uh, like Dr. Perry is like gave, giving us interventions, do this, do this, do this, do this. And he, but he's just so continually clear. Like no, no, one of the R's is relational. Like, uh-huh. like you yeah. don't send your kid out to play basketball and think you're getting the rhythmic repetitive <laughs> somatosensory piece in, right? Yeah. Like, like there's this relational piece that is, you know, and, and, and I know you and I have talked about this and we'll have to come back and do a whole nother podcast episode about this stuff. But like we cannot, you know, untangle the sensory experience from attachment mm-hmm. from the development of like who we are as humans. For sure. There's yeah. like, there's no way to tease those pieces out. Mm-hmm. You know, we are highly relational sensory beings and those systems are organized, yes. right? Like our sensory system is organized inside relationship. Absolutely. And that's, right. that's and vice versa. <laughs> well, and it's such a huge part of what this book that I'm writing, you know, and I'm going into the whole, you know, how do you learn to calm yourself? Yeah. And, you know, you, you know, with anyone that studies, you know, under me or whatever, they, they understand the proprioceptive system is a big thing for me, Yes, but your proprioceptive experiences, they, they started at infancy right? and it's the burping, you know, the patting on the back is we're burping tightness of the swaddle, the bouncing up and down, you know, like all of those things and the children that have neglect or abuse, how that affects the proprioceptive system, you know, and so how these relationships and these early life experiences 
form that sensory system. Yes. And that's basically the, the second chapter of my book. Yeah. <laughs> the section, the second section. And, and it is, it's so powerful. And it's something that um, people don't understand all the time. And sorry, I had somebody calling in. <laughs> turn off that phone real quick but yeah it's it's that you know the relationship and how early experiences really form those sensory preferences and yes. and it's important and yeah yeah, yeah. i could go on Very As, well and for everybody who's like oh say more about that we will but not today yeah. So we will absolutely have you back in the future and we'll talk more about this specifically because this is also a place you and I can get real excited about and have a lot of ways of just supporting each other's work. And I know I've learned so much from you about how the sensory system and the relational attachment system intertwine to the point where I, it's just, again, it's impossible for me to work in any other way now, you know, without so much, you know, preference given to the body and to our sensory experiences. And, you know, that, that they, we can't pull those things out of the work we're doing with families or in therapy room, even if we're doing quote unquote psychotherapy or mental health work, you (laughs) know, that if your body is present and it is that your sensory system is engaged (laughs) And it's related to relationship and definitely related to attachment and regulation and all this good stuff. So we'll come back and talk about that again. Yes. yes. <laughs> but yes. this, you know, this is more how has it affected us personally and, and, and like how do the personal and professional come together? And, you know, with that, I just want to say thank you so much for trusting me in the very beginning, because you really were one of the very first therapists that I worked with in the mental health segment, you know, I, I was working a lot with autism and you and I met at that practitioner training Yes, and you would call me and be like, Hey, I've got this kid, you know, would you be interested? And it was like, okay. Yeah. (laughs) And, and it really opened my eyes to a whole new clientele and a whole new population of, of people that I, you know, could view through that relational lens and, and listening to your work and, you know, your compassion and empathy and, you know, just really supporting everybody that's working with these kids, both themselves and the child like that has been so profound in my own journey, professionally, personally, and all that. So, you know, just a huge thanks and gratitude for trusting me so many years ago to collaborate with you with a lot of the children that you were working with here in Austin and, you know, being able to bounce those ideas off of you as we, you know, collaborated and and you being able to say, how can I bring that sensory into my clinic and and into my workspace, you know, and then me being able to say, and how do I bring that attachment in when I'm working with the child? And, and I just feel like that has been such a beautiful collaboration. And I'm so grateful that you reached out to me so many years ago and and really just changed the trajectory of how I treat kids who have sensory processing yeah. struggles and things. So thank you for that. I appreciate well, that. I mean, of course you're so welcome. And if, like almost those exact words are completely mutual because I mean, I like people who are as excited about their work and excited about happy helping families as I am. And so that's so clear in you, you know, from the get-go from the second we met each other is like, Oh my gosh, somebody's as excited about this as me. Yes. Let's go. And then, exactly. and then also curious and excited about like, let's really figure this out and let's 
you know, what works and what doesn't work and not afraid of experimenting, you know, like, huh, let's just see what happens. Um, and also, you know, for me in my practice, having a place where I could, you know, send families where I knew, um, I mean, I never expect any uh, professional to like solve a family's problems. Cause who knows if that's ever possible, but a place where I, I knew a family would like be welcomed and delighted in and, and partnered with, you know, like, Hey, let's figure this out together. And let's look at all the good things that are already happening in your family and in your relationship with this child and really capitalized on that. So, you know, finding those people in my career and you've absolutely been one of them, um, has been, you know, just, I guess, lucky. I'm just so lucky that that we've been able to help families in that way. Yeah. So, yeah. And I love the fact that we're on this podcast together, encouraging other people to, to be those people, you know, (laughs) that people can turn to and, and, you know, really just the collaborations and, and, and that's something that I think I've learned too, is that I'm not in this alone. And that is something that I feel like there's a big shift, you know, especially my my friend, Annie Chase, you know, she's an OT, she's making this trauma-informed OT Mm -hmm. association so that we don't feel alone as OTs. I'm seeing you do things professionally as well with the club and other associations that you're with. And I know Michael Remley, you know, he's trying to do this rising tide. Yeah. And so I just really, if I could encourage your listeners to this podcast is reach out to people, you know, the, you know, TBRI, I know they're having parent support things and, you know, find the people that are passionate about helping as well. And Mm -hmm. it's it's this whole shift, you know, that, that we're going to all help each other. Yeah. I mean, it comes, when it comes down to it, it's like, everything's about connection and co-regulation. I hate to like, just say the same thing over and over again, but it really truly is for us as professionals, us with the parents, us having it in our own life so that we can support, you know, our colleagues and the families that we work with. And it's just, it really just kind of all comes back to creating spaces where people can show up, be seen, and, um, you know, have their relational needs met and not be alone, not be alone. Yep. Alone yeah. is such a hard place to yeah. be. It yeah. really is. And, yes. and I know you and I have dealt with that ourselves and yes. walked with people who feel very alone. And, and so hopefully with this podcast, people will take away, I'm not yeah. alone. And yes. there are people out there that are wanting to help. Yes, so. there are. Sure. Wonderful. Well, thank you again so much for taking your time this afternoon and for you and I being able to connect again. Yeah. Well, and thanks for following me. As, as I said, I always love talking to you and, and I walk away like, oh, I just love that we're on the same team. <laughs> like, I know. I just, I just feel so encouraged and, you know, uplifted by that. So me too. You. Me too. And we will do this again for sure. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> One of my favorite unexpected pieces of this podcasting journey is having the opportunity to introduce you to some of the greatest humans on the planet and then reflect on how all these people have been such an integral part of my own development as a human and as a therapist. I hope you loved meeting Marty. You can find out more of what Marty is up to, including her trauma tips video series at creative therapies that's plural creative therapies.com i'll also put a link to that in the show notes 
If you are new to this podcast, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Be sure to add Parenting After Trauma to your favorite podcast player so each new episode just magically appears when it's released. After you do that, head over to my website and check out all the free video resources. Start at robingobel.com slash free resources, and then just poke around to see everything that I have to support you. If you're ready for a deep dive into exploring what behaviors really are, and it's not what you think, as well as how to change them, check out my comprehensive deep dive parenting course, Parenting After Trauma, Minding the Heart and Brain at robingobel.com slash parent course. Please take a moment to share this podcast with your colleagues, friends, grandparents, teachers, everyone. The sooner the whole world understands the neurobiology of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human, the sooner our kids will live in a world that sees them for who they really are. Completely amazing and sometimes struggling. Thanks for tuning in today. See you next time. Are you... Ending this episode with maybe a big sigh of relief, like, yes, finally, someone gets me and my kids. But also maybe a sense of like, okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what's. If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you, then you're going to want to join us in the club. We have monthly live events, including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids, a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos, plus transcripts and certificates of completion. Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. We open for new members periodically. So go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now, you can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory so families all over the world could find you then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash being with, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too. Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go subscribe to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of 
parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or you can get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you can just head to my website, download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, ebooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now. And I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.